Hi folks, uh, you're back with uh, Gordon Bond from the GLSTV and alongside me is David Heard. David Heard, great friend of the GLSTV show. We've done, uh, this is episode number six of our history of Rangers. Uh, if you haven't already listened to the previous five episodes, uh, please check them out on our Spotify page uh, because believe you and me, they are absolutely fascinating uh, listening. So tonight we're going to continue on with uh, some historical uh, significant events and players and characters from our past and obviously 150th anniversary year. It's, great, it's a great time to do this uh, series. So without further much ado, uh, I'll hand you over to, to yourself, David. You can introduce yourself and your book and you can tell the listeners what we're going to hear about tonight. Hi, Gordon. Thanks very much. Um, for, well, for those who don't know me, uh, I'm David Heard. Um, Recently published author in, in Rangers Football Club. Uh, my first book published in March. My next one comes out in the next couple of months. Um, and you can catch me on Facebook in different places if you if you want to look me up. Um, so tonight, Gordon, I was going to do something a little bit different. Um, Rangers play Tottenham this Saturday in a, in a pre-season friendly. I know that people may listen to this after the game, but it's being recorded just before Rangers are playing Tottenham. And they're playing for a trophy called the Walter Tull Trophy. And there may be some fans out there asking who Walter Tull is or was. And so I was going to use the, 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 the broadcast tonight to give, a, to give a background as to the story of Walter Tull because it's a, it's, it's a really fascinating story. Um, there's, maybe a, there's maybe a couple of things to, to say before I, before I start it. One is that um, some of this broadcast won't actually be about football because Walter Tull's life didn't just involve his football career. That's okay. And the second and the second thing to say is that I might use one or two words, one or two bits of language that some people may regard as slightly offensive. Um, but I'm only doing it in the context of telling the life of a, a black man in Britain in the early 20th century. So um, <laughs> it's almost okay. like, it's almost like be, be aware that I, I might say one or two words that uh, people say oh, you can't say that anymore. Um, but bear in mind, I'm telling this. I'm telling a story from more than a hundred years ago. Yeah, I think as long as we understand the context of the words, then I'm sure the listeners will understand. Yeah, I, but I think it's important important to say it first. I don't want the just getting thrown off Spotify or anything like that. Um, okay, so the story of of Walter Tull. So Walter was he was born in in Kent, a place called Folkestone down the, down the south coast of England. In uh, 1888, um, his father was called Daniel Tull, and he was the son of a slave, and he arrived in, in England from Barbados yeah, about 10 or 12 years before Walter was born. Okay. Um, his, his mother and father had quite a number of children. They had five children, but his mother died very young in 1895, which is only about seven years after Walter was born. His father then remarried, and his wife then had another child, so that made six children. And then, unfortunately, his father died uh, in, in 1897, so Walter was still just nine years old at this point in time, and he had lost both his parents. So the family of six kids had just had this stepmother to, to care for them. She tried her best, but basically couldn't cope with a family that size on her own. And she decided after a great deal of soul-searching, no doubt, that the two school-age boys that, that they had, 
would be sent to an orphanage in London, in the place called okay. Bethnal Green in London. The eldest children, they were working, so they were contributing to the house, and there was two younger girls, and they were seen as being able to help domestically around about the house and do chores. But the two boys, since very Victorian, the two boys were viewed as not, not able to contribute to the house at that age, and basically they were just extra mouths to feed. So those two boys that get sent to the orphanage were Walter Tull and his brother Edward. Right. So in 1898, Walter moved into this orphanage. Um, and the two brothers were there for a couple of years. Now, the orphanage done a lot of fundraising activities. Brother, obviously, for the, these kids to look after. And of one, of the, one of their activities was they had a choir. And Walter's brother, Edward, had a, had a good voice, so he became a member of this choir. And they done, they done a tour to raise funds, and the tour went to Glasgow. Right. Um, and it was watched by a local dentist and his wife, uh, a chap called James Warnock. And James Warnock was so taken by Edward's singing voice that he asked the orphanage if he could adopt this boy and relocate him to Glasgow if he undertook to pay all the expenses and to bring him up in his own son. So Edward moved to Glasgow, which left Walter in the orphanage himself without his brother anymore. Walter was obviously devastated at this. Of course he would be. As I see expect he would be. But he did keep in touch regularly with the Walnut family and they even invited Walter up to Glasgow to spend holidays with them. And that was, if you like, his first introduction to the city, which will become important later on. Uh, so without his brother, Walter was looking for what, what he could do to spend in his spare time. And the, yeah. orphanage, the orphanage had a football team, so he decided to join the football team. And it became very apparent very quickly that he was a very naturally talented footballer and he was quickly became their best player. In 1902, at the age of just 14, which you could do back then, Walter left the orphanage, left school and got a job as an, as an apprentice printer. And he worked in the printing industry for a number of years. But he continued to play football whenever he could. Remember, he was 14 at this point in time. Mm-hmm. He played football basically in the, st- in the streets of London for a number of years. And at the age of 20, so that was a few years later, he got recommended to a local amateur club for a trial. He was successful in that trial and he almost immediately became a regular player with them at Inside Forward. They were called Clapton Football Club and with Walter's help in their, in their team, they won the FA Amateur Cup the first time nice. he was with them, which as far as I know is the, is the biggest honour in English amateur football. Um, they won several other trophies, but that was, that was the main trophy they won. This brought Walter to the attention of some professional clubs who were watching these these matches. Okay. And in 1909, summer of 1909, spring of 1909, he was invited to join Tottenham Hotspur for a trial. And that trial involved a tour of South America, which I must admit, when I read all this, I didn't realise that teams went to South America back then, but there you go. Yeah, it's um, so, so, so surprising to me. Yeah, it came as a bit of surprise to me as well. So um, Tottenham went to... South America, and Walter played in tour matches in both Argentina and Uruguay. 
and he impressed them enough that they offered him a, con- a professional contract, which he signed. Brilliant. Now, back then, in 1909, Spurs actually were about to, uh, had just been promoted to the English First Division and they were about to play their first ever game in the First Division in England, the top league. So Walter's debut for Tottenham was also Tottenham's first ever game in the top, in the top league. And uh, start of September 1909. By playing in that game, which was against Sunderland at Roker Park, uh, he became the first ever black outfield player in the top division in England. There had been a black goalkeeper. There had been a black goalkeeper before then, a chap called Arthur Wharton, who played in goal for Preston North End in the 1890s, but there had never been a black outfield player in the top league. This was something very different for supporters down there. And it and in those days, it took a bit of getting oh. used to, unfortunately. Um, so anyway, he made his debut up at Sunderland. Tottenham lost 3-1. His second game was against Everton, and they lost that as well. Bear in mind, they were just a newly promoted team. Yep. His third game was probably the one that he first really made an impression. Uh, it was against Manchester United. It ended two each, and Walter Tull won a penalty that day that helped earn them a point. And the press were very complimentary about him. Uh, now, this is when I, this is when I'm going to use one or two terms that, that people wouldn't use these days. Yes, and the, 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 these are terms. Not obviously, these aren't terms endorsed by yourself, David, or the GSTV, Absolutely just, not. Absolutely not. And, and so, the um, context of yeah. 1909 or 1917, etc. Yeah, it was, this was 1909. Remember. Yeah. So, um, the, the press were really complimentary about his football ability. About an excellent player he was. How. how how, how good a passer the boy was. But they would use adjectives about him. They would call him things like the darky tall or the negro tall in, in, the, in the press reports, which didn't help him integrate, if you like, into, into English football very well. But he continued in Spurs' first team. He scored his first goal against Bradford City shortly afterwards. Then in early October, about five, six weeks after his debut, came the game that probably changed his career. Spurs visited Bristol City. And for the entirety of the game, he was subjected to absolutely merciless abuse from this from the, a section of the Bristol support. Not good to hear. Which would which would get Bristol's ground probably shut down if something like that happened in these days. Uh, he was he was given all kinds of racist abuse for the entire match, basically. Uh, the game finished nil nil. Um, now, I, it's not really known whether this this abuse was the reason for it, but after that match, Spurs dropped Walter Tull from their first team, and he didn't play very much for the rest of the season. Now, it might have been coincidence because they hadn't won very many games. I'm not saying that's why they dropped him, but the only shot it was after that game, he didn't play again for quite a while. Uh, some historians are suggesting that some of the Spurs directors took cold feet about their team going to mm. different grounds and getting all this abuse. Um, but that I don't know whether that's true or whether that's not true. But anyway, he didn't play again for a while. He did. He did still appear occasionally. Um, the following season, he came back into the team briefly and he scored against Manchester City. But it was mainly a reserve. And in his second season, we taught him he played twenty-seven reserve games and he scored ten goals. So he was he was still playing pretty well for them. Yeah, he just couldn't couldn't become a first team regular. 
his first career lasted two years. Um, and then Northampton Town of the Southern League offered what was called in the press a substantial sum for him in October 1911. Uh, so he left Tottenham and joined Northampton. In his two years with Tottenham, he, he played 20 times for the first team and he scored four goals. Now, Northampton Town, were, as I said, were in the Southern League, so you would realize that's non-league football at the moment. You know, it was actually just under the, the English top leagues. Uh, but they had a very ambitious and talented young manager. I don't know if you've heard of this guy, Gordon, but he was called Herbert Chapman. Okay. Herbert Chapman, if you go, if you go, if you go into all kinds of football history books and record books, he's usually listed as one of the greatest English managers of all time. Um, he was the first man that ever won the league championship in England with two different clubs. In fact, in, nice. until, Brian, until Brian Clough came along, he was the only manager to win the English title with two different clubs. Um, so this is when he was. This was his first ever management job at Northampton. I just digress slightly. Um, Herbert Chapman went on to win the league title twice in the FA Cup once with Huddersfield, and then he left Huddersfield, went to Arsenal, and he won the league another twice and won the FA Cup again with Arsenal. And the great Arsenal team of the nineteen thirties, the one that played Rangers and lots and lots of friendlies. He was a great friend of Elstrus. Nice. So he's one of the most kind of distinguished, early successful English managers. Then, oh, he, Herbert Chapman was. He was almost like the English manager until before Sir Alf Ramsey, I would say. He was, he was regarded as the greatest English manager, certainly pre-World War II. So anyway, this is the start of his, his managerial career. And he signed Walter Tull for Northampton. Um, when, when Chapman took over Northampton, they were bottom of the Southern League. Um, when Walter joined them in 1911, they were already a team that was challenging for the, the title. And he, he became a key player in that team. And they did win the Southern League in 1912 with Walter Otto won a Southern League Championship medal. He stayed at Northampton till late 1914. And he was a regular for just about all that time. Um, he made 110 appearances for them. <clears throat> but in late 1914, there was things more important than football going on. Yes. Because uh, by then, obviously, Britain was at war. And in, the, in December 1914, Walter Tull informed Northampton that he was leaving football to enlist in the army in the 17th Battalion of the Middlesex Regiment, which was known colloquially as the Football Battalion because there was quite a number of ex-players enlisted in that, in that battalion. <clears throat> so Walter was, stationed, was initially uh, sent to France. Um, and quite quickly, um, his superiors saw that he had natural leadership ability, leadership qualities. And they impressed, impressed so much that he was promoted quite quickly to the rank of sergeant. Okay. He was sent to the Western Front at the start of 1916. And he sustained a shell shock injury in May of that year, well on the front line, which involved him having to be sent back to England for a short time to recover. But he did recover. And he was sent back out to the front line just in time just in time to take part in the Battle of the Somme in September 1960. One of the bloodiest and most famous battles of World War I. Um, so he saw the horrors of the Somme at first hand between September and November 1916. And to put into context what those horrors were, there was 420,000 British soldiers killed just in that two-month period. 
Yeah, a lot of them in the first day or two as well. It's horrendous. Yeah, um, absolutely horrific times. Walter Tall luckily survived all that horror. But in the December of 1916, he developed an illness. It was quite a common illness amongst the, amongst the troops, uh, trench fever. And he was, again, uh, hospitalised and sent back to England for his recovery. This takes you to the start of 1917. Um, and the start of 1917, his war record was being noticed within, within the army. And uh, the senior officers that he reported into recommended that Walter Tull, while he, was on, while he was recovering in Britain, he should undergo officer training. So he was sent north to Scotland, to Ayrshire, to a place called Gales, which actually isn't very far from where I live, um, to attend officer training school. Now, this was actually quite a historic decision that the army took. And I think it tells you a lot about Walter Tull as a man, because at that time, the army actually had a regulation which stated that no non-white soldier could serve as an officer. That regulation was ripped up so that Walter Tull could get trained. And that him being sent to Scotland also is the start of his connection to Rangers. Because if you remember now, towards the start of this story, I talked about his brother Edward being adopted by a family in Glasgow. So by 1917, Edward had actually qualified as a dentist and he was running a successful dental practice in St. Vincent Street in the Glasgow city centre which was the one his, his adoptive father used to run, but he, he had died in 1914 and uh, Edward took it over. Now, I don't know for sure, but there's some, there's some literature says that Edward was the first practicing black dentist in the UK, but I don't know whether that's actually fact or not. It's, it says probably most of them. He might have been the first black dentist in the UK. Edward is also very popular in social circles in Glasgow, and he was a very keen golfer. And he was a member of the Turnberry Golf Club in Ayrshire. Pretty famous golf club. Yeah. Uh, and another member of that club was a star player of the Rangers first team at the time, Jimmy Bowie. And Jimmy Bowie wasn't just a uh, Rangers star player back in those days. He was a man who would go on to become a director of Rangers and eventually the club chairman. <laughs> um and to be honest with you, Gordon, there's probably another podcast with Jimmy Berry because he's got a, there's a yeah. heck of a story to tell about him as well. But anyway, I, I digress slightly. So, J- Jimmy Berry was a was a member of Turnberry, and he was actually a regular golf partner of of Edward, Walter's brother. I mean, they were, when they were playing golf together, Edward suggested to Jimmy Berry that Rangers should take a look at Walter because he it was hoped that when the war ended, he was going to resume his football career. And uh, Edward would be quite keen on him playing in Scotland and coming back up and getting the family back together again. So Jimmy Bowie relayed this, this suggestion to Powers at B. Ibrox. Walter Tull was given a, a trial. The trial was successful. And on February the 2nd, 1917, Walter Tull signed for Rangers. Oh. And this made him the first black player ever to sign for the club. Now, there's no definite evidence that he ever played a first team match there's one or two sites suggest he might have played a wartime friendly or two uh, but I can't find any evidence to say he did so I, as far as I'm as far as I'm, I'm aware 
he didn't actually play for the Rangers first team until his officer training finished. His officer training finished in May 1917. When uh, when that completed, uh, he was commissioned as an officer. He was given the rank of lieutenant. And Lieutenant Walter Tull was sent to take charge of our, our battalion in Italy, in the Italian front. Before he left, he told his friends and his comrades that how happy he was, how excited he was at moving to Glasgow after the war, how he was looking forward to playing for the famous Glasgow Rangers and how he was so looking forward to being beside his brother again. His family. Yeah. So he left for Italy. Um, And when he was in Italy, uh, he actually got mentioned in dispatches for gallantry and for coolness under fire uh, and impressed his his, uh, bosses so much that within six months he was seen as someone that they wanted to lead men in the front line back in the Western Front. So in February 1918 he was moved back to France. On March the 25th 1918 he was ordered to lead his men in an attack on the German trenches. When he did so Lieutenant Walter Tull suffered fatal gunshot wounds. He was basically shot in the head when he was when he was oh. charging the, the German lines. Died instantly. Um, his men didn't want to leave his body there out in no man's land, and they made several attempts to retrieve his body, but unfortunately they couldn't. They couldn't recover it. The, the gunfire was too heavy. And one of the men that actually tried several times. To get his body back amongst his friends again it was a chap called Private Tom Billingham, who had been a goalkeeper before the war for Leicester. I mentioned the football regiment, so there's, yeah. there's, there's football strands all the way through this. So, at the age of 29, Walter Tull had basically made the ultimate sacrifice, hadn't he? Yeah. And it was reported, although there's a bit of variety, but it was reported at the time he'd been recommended for the military cross. This recommendation was never approved. He was never awarded that honour. Um, and in recent years, the Ministry of Defence has claimed that no such recommendation was ever made, although they also say that many of their records from that time were destroyed in a fire in the 1940s. So it's impossible to say whether he was recommended for the military cross, definitely or not, but all we do know is that he was not honoured. With that, with that. But he is, he is uh, immortalised in many ways. So his name is on a plaque at the Arras Memorial in France, which is basically yeah. in one of the areas where the, where the war took place, along with the best part of 35,000 other names of Allied soldiers who perished in that area. His name also appears in the war memorial in his place of, place of birth, that's Folkestone. So their their war memorial has got his name on it. And in recent years, his name was added to the city of Glasgow, Roll of Honour for the Great War, with his address given as 419 St Vincent Street, which was the dentist surgery of his brother Edward. If I take you to a more recent history now, in 1999, Northampton Town, which is the team he played by far the most football for, they unveiled a garden of remembrance beside their stadium, Sixfield Stadium. 
And that garden of remembrance has got a special plaque on the wall dedicated specifically to Walter Tull on it. The road behind the stadium got renamed in his honour. It's now called the Walter Tull Way. And there's even a big pub on it, which is owned by the Brewers chain Green King. And that pub was renamed as the Walter Tull in his honour as well. So if you ever go to Northampton Town Football Club, you could, there'll be plenty of things down there telling you about Walter Tull. In 2004, Rangers played Tottenham in a pre-season game at Ibrox. I don't know if you were there, Gordon, you might have been. Um, yeah, I think it was. Yeah, Rangers beat Tottenham 2-0. The goals were scored by new signings, Dado Purso and Nacho Novo. And the, the winners that night, Rangers, after 1-2-0, were actually presented with the Walter Tull Trophy, which is going to get played for the second time this, this weekend. If I take to very recent history, uh, 2014. 2014 was the 100th anniversary of the start of the Great War. And to commemorate it, the Royal Mint released uh, a set of six commemorative coins. One of those coins features Lieutenant Walter Tull. In September 2018, which marked the 100th anniversary of the end of the Great War, it was almost going to be the end of it, um, the Royal Mail produced a set of commemorative stamps. And believe it or not, yet again, on one of those stamps, Walter Tull features on it. Oh, yeah. And probably the last time that his, his name probably comes up um, is last October, just October last year there. Walter Tull was, in, was inducted into the English Football Hall of Fame at the National Football Museum in Manchester. So he's got a heck of a, there's a heck of a story here. Um, unfortunately, un- unfortunately, Walter Tull, though, he never got his wish to play for Rangers. But the fact that he didn't play for Rangers absolutely shouldn't. It's a shame. Um, because he sounds like, uh, you know, obviously we know, we, can, well, we don't know, we can't really put ourselves in those shoes, but we can imagine how difficult it would be for somebody that, don't forget, lost their parents at a very early age. Within an orphanage, lost his brother who moved up north, and then uh, was as as we said the first black player to the first black player player to play professional football. Uh, it's a heartwarming story, and we I can't even imagine how difficult that must have been. Like if you take one of those factors, but to have all of them at the same time, yeah, it just shows you what. I, and then then to yep. then to you know fight for his country, serve so gallantly. Uh, I'll be honest, it puts me to shame and probably a lot of us yeah. out there as well. Yeah, I just think it's it's a it's an inspiring story, but it's quite a sad one at the same time. Um, yeah, but I, I think it's fair to say that uh, Tottenham and Rangers were to pick the name of a, an ex-player to put on a trophy that the two teams can play for against each other. Then I can think of I can think of no better one than. Second Lieutenant Walter Daniel George Tull, um, who uh, should have had a much longer life than he actually did. So that that's that's the story, Gordon. I think I should probably end with lest we forget, because uh, of course. that's what I usually say at the end of these things. Uh, absolutely fascinating, uh, David. I hope the listeners out there enjoyed it as well. You're absolutely right. It's inspiring, it's heartwarming, and... Uh, what a fantastic character. Even if you take football out of the equation, just what a fantastic character. Uh, just a gentle reminder that we did use some words and phrases throughout this episode, which are not 
necessarily learn are certainly not the views of either myself or David or the Jersey TV. However, I'm sure the lifters, as I said, will understand the context and they were used by other people and they were merely quoted rather than anything else. Uh, so, David, uh, thanks very much for your time again. It's been, again, the sixth episode. Well, it's just, <laughs> for me, it just gets more and more uh, interesting and fascinating. Uh, please, if you haven't already, please check out our previous episodes and we'll be back again soon with another episode of our epic history of uh, Rangers Football Club in this 150th year. Thanks again, David. My pleasure, Gordon. Thanks. And cheerio to all the listeners out there, and we will see you soon. Thanks a lot. Yep, bye for now.